cul-de-sac contemplating murder. Swerving with my circus, looking for a purpose. Still clean record, hope got another surface. And I am going to take care of my office, which was where I'm sitting right now. Uh, nice paint. Um, it's kind of dingy. You know how, how paint uh, gets old, man. When a house yeah. is old and people don't take care of it, um, the people that were here before us didn't really take care of the house. Not really. And it just gets dingy, man. It's almost dirty. And the paint doesn't match. And there's some crazy stuff on the ceiling. But man, it's just like I was, I was just complimenting you on your office. That it looks great uh, to me. I just you know, I want to have that feeling, you know, where I can feel comfortable because I look out on a lake. It's really great. But the rest of this, I need to set it up, you know, put some stuff on the walls, you know, change out that door, so on and so forth. But so, yeah, I'm going to do that over a week in uh, in April. Oh, shit. Home alone, unsupervised. No, man. Be, <laughs> But, you know, nothing much changes. We're so old and boring. Yeah, it was um, I forget when it was. But it was basically I was left unsupervised, you know, but only only for like, you know, like two days. And, uh, you know, so the wife's text post, she's like, what are you doing? It was like 830. I was like, I'm literally laying down in bed right now. <laughs> I was like, this is. <laughs> I, well, I was left alone. You guys remember that the audience probably remembers, too, back during COVID. I was left alone for months, bro. Oh, because, yeah, that's uh, right. Because, you know, my wife, she went back uh, on the evacuation thing. Cause we weren't rolling the dice on that one. She came back. She was back for months. And then I can't, we both went back, uh, to, to visit. And it was kind of toward his COVID was still going on. Yeah. Um, and that's when I went to the Chaz member. That's right. That yeah. was your coffee cup. <laughs> yeah. And she, she ended <laughs> up staying. And then I got this job in Texas and I was like, no, no need to come back to Europe, man. I think I was alone for like four months, bro. And you know, yeah, it was, it was like the most boring thing ever. Uh, yeah. You know, I did get to, you know, eat what I wanted. And not that, you know, she's a much better cook than me. And, man, she oh, man, she could throw it down in the kitchen. Uh, and I did start missing that. But, it, you know, I make myself some quesadillas every night. I'm fine with that. Yep. <laughs> no, fine man, with that. Dude, I'm the same way. Like, I could eat an egg sandwich or a PB&J every night, and I'd be, I'd, I'd be fine. Pick it all after a while. But it does, you know, it, it – it does get old, like you know, it just does. being by yourself, eating by yourself. I think going, I, I think eating a meal by yourself is like it's, it's okay sad. sometimes, but after a while, like that probably <laughs> gets the you know that probably gets to me the most because that's really when like, especially here because you know we still got teenagers and stuff, and that's when I guess when you catch up on the day and that's when everybody you know here's what I did, here's what's going on, You're like really you know, but you like, sit down by yourself and you eat by yourself, and it's just. It's the saddest shit. It's like being TDY by yourself and you're just like sitting in Panera, <laughs> like eating your soup all alone, looking sad. It's the worst. Have you seen that painting? There's a painting. It's old. Uh, I remember seeing it growing up. And it's an old man and he, he's, he's got his hands clasped like that. And he's down in prayer and, it, and he's about to eat. Yeah, there's like a loaf of bread right there. And it's like some food. Have you ever seen that painting? I think so, it's yeah. Old. I mean, that's that's one of the... It's kind of a profound painting, right? Because he's old, yeah. and it's like maybe he's a widower or something. But he's yeah. very obviously eating alone. That's what I think of you in the house. Is that too- <laughs> that's exactly that's ex- that's exactly me. Um, okay, so real quick, not not even real quick. Let's just jump into it. So I'm kind of kind of be a uh, obviously Roger's not with us, and we regret that. But 
we have a commitment to our audience, right, Josh? We've, we've made this commitment. It's like we are going to record, you know, because the three of us are on such crazy schedules. And tonight, even my schedule is crazy. My father-in-law is sitting right in there being patient uh, while I record. My wife's still at work. We're like, tonight we can do it. You know, some stuff came up for Roger. He's like, maybe I could do it later in the week. It's like, well, maybe I can't. And Josh is kind of, he's got his thing. So we're like, no, let's, let's do it now. Let's do it tonight. It's just going to be two of us. Uh, so, so we're doing that. So Roger's not with us, but I'm going to, for episode 112 here, I think I'm going to be kind of serving as a moderator, uh, for the demented ravings of, of Josh. Because <laughs> Josh has a lot to say. He has a lot to say. And I, I did some reading on some of the stuff I think you're going to talk about. And I want to pick your brain. I'm not going to argue with you. I just want to pick your brain and um, and and see what you have to say to some of the questions I'm going to ask. There's just there's a lot going on. So Josh got a lot. He wants to get off his chest, and I want to hear it. And I think everybody else does too. Everybody likes it when Josh uh, rants a little bit. So I'm going to listen. I'm going to take notes, and uh, you kick it back to me when when you think, or I'll, I'll motion to you if I have a question. So man, just what what you got for us, man? Oh Lord! All right. So, all right, so here we go. So I guess it was uh, earlier this week or end of last week, um, Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, she tweeted about, you know, we, we need a national divorce. And, oh, man, like that just opened the, you know, it opened the floodgates, um, you know, especially from the left, which it was very interesting because the left, the same people who, you know, have spent years vilifying the country, vilifying the constitution, you know, vilifying every institution in the nation, you know, cause of systemic racism and blah, blah. They were, you know, of course they were clutching their pearls and going, well, how dare you, you know, how, how could you say this about our great nation, you know? And you're like, well, Okay. Anyway, but it also, it, you know, it, it, it also got the dander up, uh, you know, some, some folks on the right and, uh, and, and, and rightfully so, because that's not a, uh, you know, I mean, that's not just some, you know, it's like, Hey, what'd you have for dinner? Oh, I think we should go to, you know, I think we should go to Panera, you know, or no, 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 let's go to, you know, let's go to Freddy's and get a, you know, steak burger. Like you're talking about secession. You're talking about the breakup of the union. Right. I mean, and we literally had a war over this. Um, and so it should be taken seriously. It should be a hot button issue. It should be a hot topic, you know, a hot topic because it is, I mean, it is like you, you are very much throwing down the gauntlet, but I, I, I have a little bit to say if, if Luke will bear with me for a couple minutes, I'm going to monologue a little bit um, because I typed some stuff out to keep me from wondering and, you know, kind of to keep me between the, uh, between the ditches, um, so to speak. So I, I'm going to caveat all this by saying, I like, I don't want this to happen. Like I really don't, I want my country back. I want the country that I grew up in. I want that country back. So my kids can grow up in that country. I want the country that we were on September 12th of 2001. That's what I want. Um, but I'm also a realist. We don't live in that world anymore. And, you know, I want a lot of things, but I'm, I'm not going to have them. I can only do with what I have and what I'm given. This is the country we have now. Um, and, and, and this is what it, and this is what it is. And people should make no mistake. If a national divorce were to happen, we would see a level of suffering and pain like we have never seen before to include during the, you know, the, the civil war 
in the 1860s. Like it would be truly bad. Um, and, and no one should think that it would be otherwise, even if it is, you know, even if it is amicable, um, it won't be amicable very long because if you think the fights and, you know, if you think the fights in the grocery store over toilet paper during COVID were bad, wait until people start fighting over actual food and actual necessities that you absolutely have to have to live. But, but when you look at it, we're already two different countries. The balkanization is already happening. You have counties in Eastern Oregon, they're petitioning to be absorbed into Idaho. Blue states are hemorrhaging people. You go back and look at the numbers, over 100,000 people moved from California in 2021 alone. I didn't, I, I didn't look up the 22 numbers. But the main reasons are taxes, the cost of living, and that's driven from politics. That's driven from people's politics. Um, over 75,000 people left New York for the exact same reasons. Large part of those is Californians moved to Texas, and a lot of the New Yorkers moved to Florida. You know, in addition to their electric vehicles, and I'm with her stickers from 2016, they're bringing with them the exact same policies and ideas, which drove them to leave the states that they were just in. The things that we used to hold in common, the anthem, the flag, national pride, belief in American exceptionalism, those are all gone. We had our disagreements before, but and, you know, we said it on this podcast a, a, a number of times those things that made us Americans are all gone. Those things that we could agree with, agree on. Yes, we have our problems. Yes, we have our disagreements, but we can still agree that this is the greatest nation on earth. Um, we don't, we don't look at that. Like we, we don't look at it that way anymore. You look at crime. Crime is up in almost every major city and almost every major city is predominantly run by the left. You go back and you look at the FBI stats, violent crime was up 12% in 2022, according to the FBI. That's insane. And we're talking violent crime, assaults, murders. Like that is absolutely crazy when you look at a year. And a large part of this is due to the, you know, it's due to the war on the police that began under the Barry administration. And now you have those source funded DAs who are releasing violent criminals back onto the streets while at the same time trying to disarm law abiding citizens. And I'll use the rancher in Southern Arizona as an example. You're not even allowed to defend your property anymore. In a lot of places, in a lot of places that traditionally were red. Um, but if you go back and you, you look, those are just some of the, I think those are the symptoms. Those aren't the disease. If you look at the primary driver of why this is inevitable, it's the ideologues on the left, which are the ones, you know, which are driving this by their actions. Now we live in a country where you will be fired from your job. You will be socially outcast. You will be publicly humiliated if you don't accept the narrative of the latest thing. And you're never allowed to question it, period. Whether it's COVID, whether it's Ukraine, whether it's boys who think they can be girls or vice versa. If you would have told somebody men can have babies 20 years ago, you would have probably been put in an insane asylum. But we closed those down. And then we started entertaining those very same people who we used to put in insane asylums. And this is where we are. We, and by, by we, I mean society, are now being told we must accept the mutilization of, mutila, mutilation of kids by championing gender identity surgeries, sexually grooming preschoolers, normalizing pedophilia, and other things almost every other civilized country on earth absolutely rejects and actually punishes people for and he threw in a few examples here. So Dr. Johanna Olson, director of the, quote, gender clinic, whatever the hell that is, 
at LA Children's Hospital on why she supports double mastectomies for adolescent teen girls. Quote, if they want breasts in the future, they can just go get them. Right? Like it's an accessory. Like, oh, if you want a new pair of earrings, just go get them. You know, they're down at Claire's. You'll be fine. Um, You know, the left pushing for up to and even, you know, some states allowing, you know, up to the moment of birth abortions. Oh, you think the legal system's going to help you? Take a look at Emily Coors, the forewoman for the grand jury in Georgia, looking into the Trump phone call, um, you know, afterwards saying, find the votes. Uh, When you take a look at that video, that's a jury of your peers now. That is a jury of your peers. She, and I quote, I thought it would be really cool to get 60 seconds with President Trump of me looking at him and being like, do you solemnly swear? And me getting to swear him in. I just thought that would be an awesome moment. That's why she pushed to indict, you know, is, is trying to push to indict. The, the jury's over. They still haven't, uh, you know, they haven't said who's who, who's being, you know, further processed for criminal charges. But that's a jury of your peers now. All right. We literally watched the U.S. president be subjected to a special counsel based on fabricated information used by the FBI and the intelligence community. The Russian inclusion, that, that narrative tore our country apart for years. No one has been and no one ever will be held accountable, ever. The same elected officials utilize their elective office to actively influence private organizations to suppress the speech of American citizens. The Twitter files, Matt Taibbi putting those things out. And guess what? Not one elected official will ever be held accountable. They violated the Constitution left and right every six ways from Sunday, and no one will be held accountable. One side has weaponized the Department of Justice, the FBI, and like the IC, as I said. In 2004, the Patriot Act, championed a lot by both parties that George W. Bush signed, was one of the most egregious assaults on the Constitution of our lifetime. James Madison warned us about this in 1787 when he said, and I quote, the means of defense against a foreign danger historically have become the instruments of tyranny at home. We watched the same FBI label parents at school board meetings as terrorists. The 2020 and 2022 elections, only the most obtuse of Americans still think that those were free and fair. There is no way that anybody can look at that and and say, no, those were free and fair and everything was above board. Colleges, we saw this in the government. I've seen this in the military, especially the, probably about the last 10, 10 years I was in. They are nothing more than electrics and indoctrination centers, which is already leading to the degradation of not only, not only our military system, but also the medical field as well. The University of Minnesota has now required all students graduating medical school to, quote, honor all indigenous ways of healing that have historically marginalized, that have been historically marginalized by Western medicine and to, quote, fight white supremacy, colonialism, and the gender binary. This is medical school. So you're going to go back to the indigenous ways of healing? So you're going to stick a cow horn up your ass when you're feeling, you know, when you when you got the sniffles or something? Okay. That's uh, good. So all while all that happened... The GOP sat idly by. They continue to capitulate to the left on every single issue. Most importantly, the continued diminishing of our God-given rights enshrined in the Constitution. Other than the courts, we have very little recourse. And even then, it takes years to navigate through the legal system, which is two-tiered. And exactly none of the people hosting this podcast, even when Roger is present, is in the tier 
that counts is in the tier that gets the the benefit of the doubt in the tier that where you truly are innocent until proven guilty. We enjoy less freedom today than we did on September 10th, 2001. And even then we enjoyed less freedom than our parents and grandparents did. Our kids will enjoy less than we do. This is training in the wrong direction. So my question, Luke, um, is at what point would the founding fathers have stood up the sons of Liberty went to the old old North meeting house and thrown tea into the harbor. Like at what at, at what point would they have would they have done that? Well, it's going to depend on how philosophical you want to get and how how deep into history you want to get. Uh, first of all, I'll say none of the three of us are in that tier that preferential tier yet. Yet, now we do have one listener. I'm not even going to say this guy's name that I wouldn't be surprised if he's in that preferential tier. If the stuff really went down, you know who you are. You know who you are. I'm going to see you soon. And I can't wait. We're going to have some really good discussions. I love you, bro. I'm not going to mention your name, but you know who I'm talking about. Close friend of the three of us. And it ain't Ryan. How about that? So Josh, uh, to your question, you know, at what point would they have thrown tea into the Harbor? This is, this is something I want to get into with you. And, um, cause I read a lot about this and, Josh has been talking a lot about national divorce lately since Marjorie Taylor Greene said it. And we, it, it, we've been talking about this long before Marjorie Taylor Greene brought it up. I think that's a term like bandied about a little bit. And maybe we'll get to the bottom of it a little bit here, this discussion that Josh and I are going to have. But it's like, you know, doing reading on it, it's like, what does national divorce mean? Does that mean secession? Uh, because secession kind of means civil war, at least you know, in our nation's history, that's what it means. And Josh kind of covered it in his, his monologue he did, which that was very well done, Josh. I can tell you spent some time on that. It was really well done. I liked it. Uh, and, and, and what would that look like? You know, would that be red versus blue? You know, you've got Texas here. It's a red state, but you've got Austin, which, you know, is a very blue city. Uh, you know, it, he, he, I want to go back to what you said about throwing tea into the harbor. You know, there was there was a lot of debate back in the day between Madison Jefferson, uh, uh, your boy who, you know, the Alien and Sedition Act, you know, John Adams on after, you know, because in setting up this country, there was there was a lot of uh, consternation when we were setting up this country back in the day between the founding fathers. There was a lot of philosophical talk. There was also there was also actually a lot of alcohol drank. Which, which I admire that. They drank a lot when they were uh, uh, sorting through some of these problems. And one of the issues that they were running into within the first 10 years, 10, 15 years, was, well, wait a minute. This was, uh, Jefferson was real big on this. And Jefferson actually wrote private letters to friends, private letters that <laughs> have since seen the light of day, that if those letters had not been private and put into the newspapers, they might have put Jefferson in stocks for saying some of the things he said. And one, and Josh, I'm going to kind of kick it back to you here in just a second when I kind of finish this this thought and and uh, kick the question to you. Was like I said, there was consternation. It's like, well, this state doesn't like that. This group of people doesn't like this. Is this actually going to work? And if these states are put into a position where they've signed on to something, which would be the Constitution and establishing a country that they feel like they've been screwed, do they have a right to revolution? Now, I think we've discussed on this podcast before that 
revolution now, according to the U.S. Code. And I tried to dig into that today, but I could not find it. I just did not have enough time because I wanted to bring it up here. But literally, revolution in this country uh, against whatever government is in power is currently illegal. It's illegal. You cannot do it. You know? So that was what that was one of Thomas Jefferson's thing is like, well, the people, that's a God-given right. If you have an oppressive government, if you have an oppressive power, a tyrant over you, you have a, a human right to revolution to overthrow that oppressive power. So I, I want to kick it back to you, Josh. Get your thoughts on do, and I think you're going to say yes, but I'd like it to deconstruct it a little bit. Like, do the people have, I, I, and, and we'll kick this back and forth a little bit because I know I'm skipping over a lot of your points, but the right to revolution, national divorce, okay? I mean, I think that that could be seen in some people's minds as some form of revolution. And there are different types of revolutions, by the way. There's social revolutions. That's happened before. Um, there's political revolutions and there's armed revolutions. Now, a lot of times those political revolutions will co- go along with the armed revolution, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a violent thing. Um, it can be a social revolution. You know, I think uh, I'll come up with a few examples while Josh is talking, maybe. But I think the 60s was a bit of a there was a bit of a revolution. So, Josh, I'll kick it back to you. Right to revolution. Do the people have it? Do they not? Um, you know, at what point, what's the difference between a national divorce, secession, civil war, revolution? And again, you know, <laughs> I wrote this on my on my notes right here. I wrote YouTube. I circled it, put a line through it like the Ghostbusters and wrote banned in big letters because Josh covered everything that's going to be banned. COVID, freaking the 2020 election, all that stuff. So I don't think that we're encouraging this stuff. We're just having a conversation about it. So before anybody gets any ideas, you know, that's, that's where we're coming from. This is just a conversation. Yeah, no, and, and, and absolutely. This is a, this is a conversation. So, you know, don't go, uh, you know, don't go turn this into the FBI, um, you know, and so do citizens have a right to revolution? Well, I'm going to say yes, because that is, exactly how this country was founded when at the time colonists british citizens said we've had enough and the the most important part of this is they attempted to change it through you know diplomatic process they attempted to change it through the legal process they attempted to change it until the system was unchangeable. Once the system because becomes unchangeable through all legal processes, then yeah, you have a right to revolution. Um, and, and, and that's a great example. Literally the second thing they wrote, right? The first thing they wrote was basically you can say what you want. The literally the second thing the founders wrote was, Oh, and by the way, you need some guns. They didn't put that in the Constitution because they just came back from a hunting trip. They put that in the Constitution as a God-given right endowed by our creator because they just got done liberating a, a, a nation. And so I think based on the, you know, based on those two things, one, that the people who founded this country did it, 
and the fact that they wrote in, you know, the, the second amendment, um, you know, to, and, you know, a lot of people, of course, you know, we have some, you know, we've, we've had some discussions on the, on the second amendment, you know, it, it, the second amendment was put in there to defend the, you know, for people to be able to defend themselves, take care of themselves and, you know, but primarily to defend themselves from a tyrannical government, even if it be their own. So do people have a right to revolution? Yes. I'm going to say yes. And even in, even in this country where, you know, it is illegal, which is absolutely insane. I, I, I'm curious and I need, uh, I need to look this up. I'm going to write this down because I'm looking up. I wonder if anybody's ever challenged that. I wonder if anybody has ever challenged that law because I would be curious to, to see what the Supreme Court would say about a law banning a revolution, knowing that the Constitution was founded on. And I mean, you know, you go back and look at you know, the quotes been attributed to Jefferson. There's some people who say Jefferson didn't say it, but when tyranny becomes law, rebellion becomes duty. Um, so what's up? So that, that, and I, I wish I would have had more time to look that up today because it, now it's becoming very germane to the topic, but it is a Supreme court case. Um, and it has to do with armed revolution and it has to do, and it had to do with, uh, cause you know, we've talked about militias and stuff like that. And I went down the militia rabbit hole. So maybe Josh, that might be a good uh, place for you to begin in your research to find this is start with militias. And uh, go go down the go down the path like that. And that based on that Supreme Court case, it's it's something in the U.S. Code. Yeah. So yeah, in audience, man, I we encourage y'all to to do this research yourself. But yeah, basically, armed revolution is illegal. That's that's it. That's that that's the at the end of the day. And what would an armed revolution look like? Well, it would be composed of militias. And so it all, I think all these cases and the law actually began with the question of malicious. So, but I, I sorry to interrupt your train of thought there, but I, I wanted to inject that. No, 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 no. And that's, and that's good. And I think when we talk about, you know, when we talk about armed revolution, I don't think that you, I don't think in this, especially in this day and age, you can have a, a social revolution um, or a political revolution without it turning into an armed revolution. I just, I, I don't see that happening. Um, you know, it, cause we're not talking about, you know, and you brought up the, you know, the sixties, right. And that was a, that was a social revolution. Um, but you know, those at the levers of, uh, you know, those at the levers of power, uh, acquiesce the demands, right. they, we, you know, we got rid of Jim Crow laws, um, as we should have, uh, you know, and they signed, you know, signed the civil rights act, all that. Um, so I don't think it would turn out the same if there was a social revolution saying we are, we are now downsizing the size of the federal government. We are now down. So we are putting the federal government back in their box and we are putting them, you know, we're going to put them in the corner and we're giving the states back the power, right? We're re, we're, we want to rewrite the Commerce Clause. We want to rewrite the Elastic Clause because they've been abused left and right, you know, since since the beginning. Um, so, you know, I, I, I don't know that it would be. I don't know. It would be a uh, you know just a social revolution without the arm piece. Maybe it would. Maybe it wouldn't. I don't know. Um, you know. I mean, 
even Mao, you know, it, it, Mao said, you know, what was political power grows out of the barrel of a gun. Um, <laughs> you know, and look at what the government, the government has not, has not hesitated to use force. Um, in a lot of areas, they have not hesitated to, you know, to leverage the, the federal law enforcement, um, you know, or even the, uh, you know, the, even the intelligence community to, you know, as an end to their means or, or as a means to their end rather. So, I don't know, it, you know, we asked for some opinions, um, and, and some input and a couple of folks provided it and we definitely appreciate it. Uh, Damon, uh, posted up on uh, on Facebook earlier today, you know, talking about how the how it would work, you know, how a national divorce would work, and and, and everything. Um, and, and I don't think this is I, like I don't think this is going to happen, right? It's just again, it's a conversation. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, but you know, what happened to a convention of states? And this goes back to us talking about your local elections are extremely important. You know, Damon pointed out it'd have to be a convention of states, kind of a coalition of states get together, have that convention of states to amend the Constitution with some of these things that we that we so desperately need. Um, my fear is that we are polarized to the point to where we can't have discussions anymore. And there's some people I don't, I, and, and and I'm as guilty as as the next person because there's people I don't want to have discussions with. If you think sexually grooming elementary school kids is okay, if you think talking about sex, any, and I'm talking about you know homosexual, heterosexual, whatever, any type of sex to a kindergartner, like you're not somebody I want in my country. You're just not. You're not somebody I want to live with. You're not somebody I want to talk to. You're just not. Um, and so. You know, we all know what happens when diplomacy fails and you can't negotiate, you can't have conversations anymore, then, you know, that's where that barrel of a gun thing comes into play. Um, so, you know, but it, that's my biggest fear is that we're to the point where, you know, there's no give on either side. Um, and, and the right is given a lot. We have, like I said, we have capitulated to a number of things to the left and it's one of the major reasons why we are where we are now. It's why we've lost the education system. The education system, the entire education system belongs to the left. They are indoctrinating students. And I even showed you guys, you know, some of my, uh, some of my youngest daughter's civics homework and what they're putting in that. And this is North Carolina. And this is a very, I mean, in North Carolina is generally a red state. We're much like Texas. It's a red state outside of, you know, Charlotte and Raleigh. And like, you know, in Wilmington, um, other than that, it's pretty red. You forgot Asheville. Oh, in Asheville, God, the, God, the Berkeley of North Carolina, um, you know, and so, but we're even seeing that now, you know, in, in some of the red counties that we have lost a culture war in a lot of ways. And I don't see us coming back from that without some significant pain and what shape that pain is in. I don't know. Is it a national divorce? Maybe I doubt it. Um, so, well, you know, I, I tend to take a, a sun, not even a sunnier because I, I don't, I don't want to characterize what you're saying in negative, in a negative light. That's not what I intend to do. 
uh, sunnier outlook uh, implies that you, you have a, a cloudy outlook, which I think you have a realistic outlook. But I tend to, I, I do, I do agree with you on the painful aspect of it. Uh, I don't know if that means uh, physical pain uh, to every single person. Uh, I don't know, but I do, I do believe that things move in cycles. Um, I try in my life to, I try to take a geological perspective on things uh, first and then a historical perspective, because there's a difference between the two. When you're talking about a geological perspective, you're talking about millions of years. Uh, when you're taking a historical perspective, you're talking about uh, 2,000, 3,000, maybe 5,000. Um, either way, I believe things move in cycles. Uh, I do believe that whatever's going on right now, the division, uh, the polarization, is going to take some sort of awakening. Now, whether that takes its form in an armed awakening, uh, some sort of secession, some sort of deep political upheaval, uh, which is what it would take to solve it within the next five years. Uh, definitely. I mean, if we're going to solve all these problems that, that, that Josh and I see within the next five years, it's going to take significant bloodshed. It's going to take significant political upheaval. But guess what, folks? That's not what I think is going to happen. Um, I think that down the road, I agree with Josh that if things keep moving this way, uh, you know, we're, you're going to see a, a Palestine, Ohio type, you know, train derailing where things are really going to go off the tracks and it's going to be bad all the way around. But what it's going to take in the in the long run is some sort of awakening, uh, a mass awakening uh, by a significant portion of the population. And I see things, you know, and Roger, if he was here, he would say, well, the rubber band's going to snap back. I, I tend to go with Roger on that, the, the rubber band, <laughs> Roger Jackson. Oh, Roger, Roger is typing right now. So that's actually Josh, a printing press level awakening. Okay. So Josh is kind of on the right track. It wasn't where I was going, but now he's going to take me <laughs> down another rabbit hole. And, you know, we start to see these, you know, uh, artificial intelligence type stuff coming up. I, I think we're a long way away from it being uh, even close to the printing press. But I think that history a thousand years will judge the, uh, the, proliferation, the proliferation of the Internet on the level of the printing press. And if you look at back when Gutenberg invented the printing press, man, you really took me down a rabbit hole. <laughs> Thanks, bro. So after, Gutenberg, after the printing press came out, Bro, it was a time over 100, 300, 400 years of significant upheaval. People learned to read and they were like, wait a minute, uh, I can read this book in German over here. Why is the Bible in Latin? Can I get that in German, please? Can I get that in English? And they started reading, you know, direct translations. It was happening so fast. It was happening so fast. There was demand for direct translation. So you had monks and people who could write doing direct translation without direction from the church, you know, and these were, you know, circulated the King James Bible. Well, that was years and years later, but the Bible, normal people started reading the direct translation of the Bible. And they're like, Hey, wait a minute. The priest told me this, but the word actually says that. No, 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 this is bullshit. We're going to go start the church of England. You know, Henry the eighth, we're going to go start the church of England. I don't need a priest to talk to God. It doesn't say that in the word anywhere. Where in the word does it say that I need a priest to be a you know intermediary between me and God? And bro, 
people died. We're talking hundreds of thousands of people over the years, which the population was much thinner back then. That's a significant upheaval. So I'm saying like, when you look at things from a historical geological perspective, I think we're in a period of tumultuous upheaval. And I think the internet has a lot to do with that. I think that has a lot to do with polarization. I'm not saying it's exactly the same as the Gutenberg press and what happened with the schisms within the church and, you know, the rise of Islam and things like that. But to bring it all back to an awakening, I see little hints of things that are briefly covered by the news that give me hope. And I sent it to my daughter today. I was like, isn't this the coolest thing ever? Josh, I don't know if you saw the thing that happened in Kentucky with the Asbury University, the Christian University private school in Kentucky. No. Did you did you see that story at all? Well, it's because all this bad news is going on. You know, you've got a, you've got a train derailment. You've got, you know, the fake ass uh, air sirens going off in Kiev, which is complete bullshit, by the way. If anybody thinks that those air sirens are real, you know, I got a bridge to sell you in Arizona near Apache Junction where Roger lives. That's all I'm saying. Over a massive body of water. So at Asbury University, uh, I think it, it started about 10 days ago, 11 days ago. Asbury is a private Christian university and they have a mandatory chapel. You know, the students have to go to chapel, you know, whatever it is, one hour a week or three hours a week, whatever it is, it's part of their classes. Uh, and at what's happened over the years is sometimes, you know, after the hour long chapel service, some students decide to stay. They decide to stay and pray or whatever they're going to do or continue to read scripture to each other or just, you know, have genuine Christian fellowship. But what happened, and it was a total grassroots movement within the university. The university is not big. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't even venture to guess how many students are at Asbury U, but a private Christian university, it can't be more than 10,000. It's got to be way less than that. I would say a student body, maybe 5,000. They started just grassroots, spur of the moment, was not organized, a continuous worship service that did not stop. Uh, the university faculty and the university staff said, no, let's just, let's just let them continue. Word spread within other you know, uh, private universities in the area, and people ended up coming. This lasted for 10 days. Nonstop worship revival in the chapel at Asbury University Tens of thousands of people showed up for this thing to sit down and worship, pray, sing, read scripture, fellowship with one another. People came as far away as Florida and Washington State, New York, all the way down to Kentucky to experience this. And I don't see that as crazy. I see that as kind of a cool thing that college kids did. I mean, that gives me a little bit of hope. You know, it's like, okay. I mean, it's Christian school. You know, you may agree, disagree with Christianity or whatever, but people are holding common values. Um, regardless of what you think about religion, it brings people together in a common mindset to accomplish a common goal. And generally, within religion, even Islam, believe it or not, is to make the world a better place. Uh, some religions agree on who you're making a better place for, but it's like-minded people come together for a common cause, and generally that cause is good. So I see things like that from the younger generation, tens of thousands of students coming together, taking time out to, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to exclude the religious aspect of it. They came together for a common purpose, which was not bad. 
Uh, I think a lot of people on the left might disagree with that, but it's better than Antifa setting up Chaz, right? How long did Chaz last? Maybe longer than 10 days. But you didn't need cops, you know, kicking these kids out of the chapel. They were there for a peaceful, good purpose. All I'm saying is, I see a revival like that, and I see hope. I see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. But again, we've got a long way to go. I think this awakening is not something that happened in Kentucky at Asbury University. It's just going to be a long, slow process. And Josh, now I'm I'm going to leave it at that and get your thoughts on that. But I've got more to say on national divorce and, and these things, but I'll kick it over to you. No, I didn't. Uh, I did not hear that story. I'll look it up. Um, and that's good. That you know, that's definitely good to see, especially coming from the younger generation. Uh, you know, we, we give the younger generation a, a, a hard time. Uh, you know, just like I'm sure. You know, I mean, our parents gave us a hard time. Grandparents, you know, the, and, and so on and so forth. Some of that, uh, you know, it's just uh, a, a thing. It's it's just kind of like you're you know you're right a passage, uh, so to speak, but we also have a younger generation that has been indoctrinated, um, by, you know, what I said earlier, these, these left these communists, uh, you know, who have infiltrated the education system at, at, at every level. And we're talking about starting from elementary school. Um, you know, and now we're seeing the byproducts of them going into the medical field. There's another example of a doctor who was holding a baby and she was talking to the baby one, the baby, was you know obviously too young to understand what she was saying but she's talking to this baby and you know apologizing for all the gun violence in the world and about how guns are you know about how guns are bad right and you're just looking at this person and the baby's you know the baby's crying and crying like i don't know i don't know what's going on i'm just you know i'm hungry i need my diaper change or i'm tired right because the babies um it's generally it's one of those three things and but you're looking at this and it's like you're a doctor like you're a medical professional. What, like what in the world would, would possess you to do that? Um, the revival thing, very cool. If that would have been 2020, guess what would have happened to tens, tens of thousands of people? They would have went to jail, right? They would have went to jail because they violated, you know, if they weren't wearing masks or they violated, you can't have groups of, you know, more than 10 people. Our government. That's a good point. Our government would have put them in jail. Why? Because the government hates you. The United States government hates you at every level, and they would imprison you without hesitation. Without hesitation. You look at the January 6th protesters, right? Now, again, and we've said it before, they were stupid for going into the Capitol. Would have never done that. If I was on the National Mall that day and have been like, and, and Ray Epps is like, hey, man, let's go to the Capitol. I'd have been like, no, that's that's a really, like, that's a really bad idea, Right. But anyway, a bunch of people went in, even people who didn't do, they didn't destroy anything, they didn't steal anything, they walked in, you know, and, and, and walked back out. They are still in jail. A lot of those people are still in jail. There are people who have been charged with murder who were released on no bail because of the Soros-funded DAs, but yet to prove a political point, and that's all this is, to prove a political point they are still in jail. And that is crazy. The only reason our government has a crackdown on us harder is because of the guns. That's it. And I go back to, you know, I, I gotta, you know, I go back to, 
to, to Mao saying all political power comes from the barrel of a gun. That's the only reason that the, they have not cracked down on us harder is because the majority, I would say not all, but the majority of conservatives have firearms and own firearms. And we own the preponderant, the, the vast majority of the firearms, um, you know, so, so guns and ammunition, that's why I always used to say, you know, Hey, go buy guns and ammo, go buy guns and ammo. There, there's a reason for that. What's up? So I was thinking about January 6th today, actually. And, um, I was listening to a podcast or something as usual. And, uh, you know, I think Josh that January 6th, you know, those people rotting away in prison, uh, oftentimes, well, for a while anyway, without charges for a very long time without charges. I mean, what happened to the right of a speedy, you know, speedy, speedy trial, you know, I think that they're being deprived of their rights. And I think that, yeah, I, I should be more outraged about it. Um, it's not the fact that they made a stupid decision, you know, that, that doesn't, that doesn't help the fact that their rights are being uh, trampled upon. Uh, and I, I honestly, again, I should be more outraged about it. I should do more research on it. I should look and see what's going on with these people. Um, but again, uh, I think January 6th scared the living hell out of a lot of people. I think the think tanks came back and said, okay, we need to seriously think about this. Uh, what would have happened if those people were armed? You know, I mean, first of all, it wasn't an insurrection. You know, and I thought I, I went down the rabbit hole in my own brain. It's like, okay, what if they would have been armed? Then what? Would Trump be dictator now? You know, because that wouldn't have been exactly right if, you know, a thousand people stormed into the Capitol, you know, held, you know, uh, lawmakers at gunpoint, and then Trump comes over and takes over. That's not my idea of a free republic. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's, uh, I don't like that. Uh, nope. but I wouldn't be surprised if it went that way, you know, in an alternate universe, you know, people showed up and, you know, caused holy hell. And, you know, there was a hostile takeover of the government and Hey bro, I didn't consent to that. That ain't cool. You know? Oh yeah. He was on my side at the time, but mm -mm, no, you, you stepped over the line on that one. You know what I'm saying? But I think yeah. a lot of these think tanks were like, you know, we need to, yeah, really think about this because what we need to show the people is that it stops here. This is a line in the sand. Do not think about this any more than you already have. Let's, let's, uh, any more, not any more than you already have, but do not dwell on what happened as some, as a way you can change things. Let's, uh, let's, let's massive information campaign Everyone gets information ops campaign. Everyone gets the book thrown at them. This is not an option to change things. You do not have this option. Um, I think that's one of the reasons those people are rotting. I think that's one of the, the, the reasons that if you've gone and looked at the actual White House anytime lately, it's, it's a different thing. I think I covered that on a podcast previously when I went and visited the White House most recently. I think it was last year. Yeah, it was almost a, exactly a year ago. I was like, well, what the hell? You can't even see it anymore. It's completely barricaded. It's like, so who are you barricading it from? Who are you afraid of? You still afraid of ISIS? You still afraid of Al-Qaeda? No, you're afraid of your own people. That's what it is. 
you know, because you know that if you piss off enough people in a short amount of time, <laughs> there's not much those fences are going to do against a million people, even armed with sticks and stones. So I think it was a real wake up call to the government and their measure of control and how they need to exert that control. And I don't think it's 100% through force. I don't think it's even close to 100% through force. Uh, you know, if, if the government turned, like truly turned on the people, like truly overnight, you know, and uh, took away all the rights overnight. No, 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 it's, in, it's not going to stand. The people will not stand for that if you do it overnight. If you do it incrementally, then yeah, we can we can exert as much control as we want. So Josh, I was kind of rambling, but uh, I was thinking about January sixth, and I think that, that scared so many people. It scared so many people. Um, I'll go back and say right now, because uh, I said it back then, and you remember we recorded that podcast that we decided not to put out <laughs> right after January sixth. Yeah. You remember that? <laughs> We're like, yeah, maybe we should do that. Yeah. But as as I watch that, and maybe we're going a little f- far far from the topic. As I watch that, uh, I laughed. I, I chuckled to myself, uh, knowing that I wouldn't go into the Capitol. But I was like, "Hey, this is what you get, you lawmakers. You know, you're a little scared right now. How's it feel? How do the people of Wisconsin feel? How do the people of St. Louis feel? How do the people, you know, with all these riots going on?" They were scared where people were huddled in their homes thinking, please don't let me be next. Please let them stop two blocks over. It's like, now you know how it feels. I'm not saying they're justified. I just laugh because it's like, you know what? Welcome to the real world. You know, and and the people, this is the people. The people are uncontrolled. I mean, you cannot truly control the people. Not really. You can exert some level of control for a certain amount of time, as much as they'll put up with. But this is what happens when things get a little bit sideways. Yeah, no, I agree a hundred percent. Um, and I kind of had the same thoughts when I, uh, you know, when I watched it happen, you know, on, on the news and it was just kind of like, well, you, you asked for it. Like you asked for it, you pushed, you, you pushed and you pushed and you pushed. And, you know, I kind of, it made me think of, uh, you know, in a way it kind of made me think of Rambo first blood. It's like, Hey, my man just wanted, like, they just wanted to, you know, they just wanted you to not lie to them. Yeah have free and fair elections. That's all, that's all they asked for. But when you go and, and, and you do the things that you did and, you know, lawmakers hiding, you know, under their desk and stuff, it was like, well, like you said, you know, we spent, we spent an entire summer longer, you know, watching people be murdered, business, their businesses burned to the ground, you know, livelihoods destroyed while, you know, by and large, especially in Washington, D.C., because Washington, D.C. is so they're so far removed from everyday society, even during a recession. D.C. is kind of recession proof because the government is always going to, you know, the government's always going to operate. The government's always going to sign a, uh, a, you know, a continuing resolution. They're always going to have something. So the D.C. area is, by and large, is recession proof. You really don't feel it there. Even in, you know, 2008, 2009, you know, to, to 2012, uh, D.C. really didn't feel the recession because it's recession proof. Uh, by, you know, by and large, uh, you know, that's where the preponderance of the federal government, uh, you know, stuff located. And so, you know, seeing them, you know, cower in the house chamber and hide behind their desk and stuff, you know, it, it, 
it made me think one of Rainbow, you know, First Blood, but it also made me think of, uh, you know, and I forget who, uh, I forget who said it and it might've been, it, it might've been Jefferson, you know, when, when there is tyranny, you know, people are afraid and, you know, you know, people are afraid of the government, but when there is, uh, you know, when the government is afraid of the people, there's liberty. And, you know, and so, no, I agree. I, I, I 100% agree. I do not think that the federal government could turn around and, you know, take away everyone's rights in the country, you know, overnight. Um, they just couldn't do it. People wouldn't, like you said, a lot of people wouldn't stand for it. Um, I think more people would stand for it than we wish, you know, we, we would hope. Um, but, you know, it kind of goes back to, you know, what you said, like, you, know, you take a look at even every single member of the military, every single member of a police force still doesn't come close to equaling, you know, the, the Bubba's, uh, you know, out there, uh, and, and the, and the Joe six packs. So, but it, boy, they sure tried though, Josh, they sure tried to take a lot away all at one time with COVID. I mean, Oh, hundred percent. They took a lot, like you're always saying, you're always saying, and I agree with you. Uh, all those rights were taken away overnight. And what did people do about it? Uh, not really much. And I do believe that all this stuff, you know, all this stuff that happened in those tumultuous times when we started this podcast was due to COVID. Even January 6th had a, had a taste of COVID in there and all those, those lockdowns and the rights and the, the hypocrisy that we saw with the BLM riots and protests, not even riots, yep. but the protests always okay for them, but not you. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, COVID. They sure tried, and you know, maybe 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 I'm wrong on that. Maybe we're both wrong. Maybe they could take them all away, but if it was packaged the right way, not enough. There wouldn't be enough dissenting voices to to make a difference. No, and it wouldn't be. It would be you know like and and COVID. You know, man, COVID. I a hundred two hundred years from now, people are going to look back at COVID and that is going to be that is going to be a a massive it's not going to just be relegated to a footnote in history that is going to be a mass i think it's going to be a turning point in you know how how easily people can have their freedoms taken away and how easily um you know how easily people can be subjugated um you know, who was it? Albert, I forget his last name. You know, he said, uh, you know, the good of the people is there always been the alibi of tyrants. <laughs> and, and that's exactly what COVID was. It was, well, we're all in this together. You have to do it, you know, you have to do it for gam gam. You have to do it for your neighbor, right? If you'll just do this, everything will be okay. And, you know, of course, they lied about every, everything. It's Albert about. Camus. Albert Camus. I should have known that. That guy's Albert an existential Camus. philosopher. How did you know yeah. that? How did you know his first name was Albert? Josh, you surprise right. me every day. Every day. Right. <laughs> You're talking about Albert Camus on this podcast. Yeah, I couldn't remember his last name. I couldn't remember his last name. I, dude, I just, I, I read, man. I try and read. Um, you know, and some of those things, I guess. Shit, some of those things stick with me. You know, sunshine's Dude, on a dog's ass every now and then. When you said that, when you said that, <laughs> I actually thought, I think that's Albert Camus, but there's no way Josh knows that. <laughs> so I had to Google it. I had to Google it. <laughs> and it pops up Albert Camus. I was like, no shit. Well done. 
is this where I is this where I drop the Enoch Powell quote? You know, history is littered <laughs> with the wars people say could never happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, no, it's uh, you know, it, I, I think COVID is COVID just really needs to do. I'm sure somebody's already done it. Somebody is doing it. Um, but do a deep dive on COVID and look at, you know, those those aspects of how quickly you can subjugate uh, a society. Um, and I mean, because just it was overnight, almost practically overnight, it was wear a mask, stay in your house. You can't go here. You can't see these people. You can't talk to these people. You can't question the narrative. You can't question the government, right? We were, I mean, we were told you absolutely not question doctors. And that's when, you know, of course, everybody on, you know, in the Twitter sphere and the book of faces and everything, all of a sudden everybody's a medical professional, um, you know, for, for two years. But it's, I just, I, I, I don't think this ends well for I don't think it ends well for anybody. Um, and, and like I said before, we're already, we've already kind of started the divorce by the balkanization. And we're seeing that by people moving to, you know, people moving states and stuff like that. Now it, it just, and you've seen it, I'm sure in Texas, uh, you know, a lot of people are going to Texas, a lot of people going to Florida, talk to, you know, people back in Florida and stuff. And, you know, they're seeing it. Some people are happy to be in a state that, you know, is, you know, generally embraces freedom. Um, and then there's some other people that are, you're like, no, nah, man, like these people are here and then they're trying to institute the same policies, you know, that, that drove them out of the, the, the state or wherever they came from to, uh, to begin with. So <laughs> we're already seeing, so like I said, we're already seeing some of that balkanization, um, in, in there. And I just don't think it, I, I don't think it ends well when you talked about, you know, Austin, um, and I would say even Houston, uh, you know, for, for Texas, it is, it's a giant blue, you know, blue pool in the middle of a very red state. Um, and I think Texas, you know, before I had said Texas was going to be purple by 2028. Um, I think with possibly, you know, the illegal immigration numbers being as high as they are, I think Texas may get a little bit more red because generally, as we talked before, Hispanics don't buy into a lot of the left's, you know, talking point and platforms. Um, so Texas may go, you know, Texas may be a little bit more red, uh, but those cities are going to get more blue. And, you know, what do you do when the cities become un uninhabitable due to leftist policies, right, of defunding the police? How does the state deal with that? Um, and where do those people, once once things start drying up in the city, once that crime in the city, you know, I, I, I can't rob people in the city anymore because they don't have anything. What happens when they start going out to the rural areas where it's a little bit more red, right? And that's for any state. Um, it's just where we're at is not sustainable. We can't continue down this path um, and, and, and anywhere good. So, yeah, I agree. Um you know, what happened in Austin, I, I'm sure a lot of people saw it, the, the drag racing and all that stuff, um, you know, it's, it's out of control. And when the, when the, you know, criminals or whatever, somebody's going to get killed. People always get killed with the drag racing stuff. Uh, you know, uh, when, when those folks are saying, 
you know, they can't catch us. There's nothing they can do anyway. I mean, that sends a message, right? Uh, it's, and it's not a good one. Uh, Austin police, you know, Josh, uh, is, is right. You know, he, he's, he's posting on Twitter. He's posting on, on Facebook, you know, what happened after they cut the police, you know, what defunded the police this is what happened. And that's Austin is a, uh, is a prime example of that. I think that they, they cut 30% from the budget and this is what happens when, when things like that happen. So, so Josh, I wanted to go back to like the kids nowadays, you know, I, I've often said, you know, I look at, uh, my daughter and my stepson, I think my, my stepson is a, is a little bit younger uh, than my daughter, but man, uh, with his, uh, so you're talking about 21 year olds, 21 to, and maybe Josh, maybe you can shed some light on this yourself. Cause you've got some, uh, some young uns over there, all, all teens, I believe. Um, what I observe with uh, him and his friends is their bullshit detectors are, are very sensitive uh, at least with him and his friends. I mean, they spot bullshit pretty quick, man. Um, and I, I go back to the awakening revival type thing and I see, you know, you remember the Sam Britton guy, you remember him, the, <laughs> for the audience, for, for those of you in the audience who don't remember who Sam Britton was. Anybody missing luggage? Yeah. Uh, this guy was put in charge, uh, Department of Energy of Nuclear Waste Disposal, a pretty high level, SES type level, which is senior, senior, senior executive service. This guy's an executive and he's very clearly uh, confused on who he is, uh, not gender, non-binary, you know, uh, you know, a little bit of cyberpunk mixed in there, shaved head, dresses like a woman, uh, and I look at this appointment, and I'm just like, this is a, like a political appointment. And I'm just thinking, what the hell is going on? I mean, do kids who aren't, aren't too engaged in civics to begin with, but I mean, if a kid was to look at this, and I asked him, what do you think about that? You know, maybe a kid back when Sam Britton was appointed would be like, well, you know, we got to have diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? Because that's, that's the line that they're fed. But then it comes out that Sam Britton is is uh, stealing luggage at airports, you know, and you're sitting at the you're sitting at the belt. And mom, you may not know about uh, Sam Britton, but uh, you know you're sitting at the belt, and uh, you know luggage is coming out. And oftentimes you're like, "Well, oh, I sure hope nobody takes my luggage because all these bags kind of look the same." Well, what Sam Britton was doing is he's taking advantage of that. He's obviously uh, has some deep seated problems, and he was taking bags he knew were not his own. And just walking off, he'd, he'd find his bag and then he'd just grab another one. And uh, he was serial at this. He did this quite often. And um, he got caught doing it. And uh, <laughs> basically, yeah, so he was stealing other people's luggage, uh, mainly, uh, you know, what he would identify as, well, that looks like a female type luggage. I'll steal, steal that and see what kind of clothes are in there. And he would actually wear the clothes. And there's a fashion designer that recently came out on Twitter. She's Tanzanian. And uh, she's done fashion shows in, in Tanzania and, and uh, apparently very well known in Africa. And uh, she actually posted some Twitter uh, pictures and whatnot. I think it was on Twitter. It might have been Instagram. And she's like, wait a minute. She posted a picture of her actually modeling the piece of clothing that she had designed one of a kind at a fashion show in Tanzania and then she posted a picture of Sam Britton wearing the exact same thing from a piece of luggage that she had lost at Dulles International Airport outside of D.C. So I'm going somewhere with this. It's like when all of this stuff, 
that seems normal according to a diversity, equity, and inclusion type mindset that kids have nowadays. It's like, well, let's give them a chance. You know, we need to, you know, it can't just all be, it can't be the white man all the time. But then they see something like that. Well, they appointed a genuine sociopath with serious problems to not just a government position, but a government position that's in charge of disposing of the most deadly substance on the planet. Is this really, I mean, I'm, I'm get, I guess, Josh, what I'm trying to get at is when will the bullshit detector that I'm placing so much faith in the 22 and under, when will that bullshit detector finally hit red and go off the charts and be like, okay, we need to examine what this is all about. How did this person get this position? You know, if you deconstruct it and do the inception thing on it, well, it comes back to diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, which has nothing to do with qualifications, which is why that Amazon plane went down the other day. Uh, I don't know if y'all saw that. It's I like, was just going to bring that up. Yeah, I'm. I'm just hoping that the bullshit because it's too late for us, right? We're we're the old fogies. We're getting old. Nobody listens to us anymore. But you know, do we place faith in the BS detectors that I'm talking about? I mean, do you see that with with your offspring? Uh, do you see that they see? Yeah, I don't know. I'm just just throwing that out there. Yeah, no, I definitely see that with, now that you mentioned it, you know, I, I definitely see that with my kids um, as as well. Like they pick up on it pretty quick and they know when, especially not so much now because, you know, generally I, I don't BS, I don't BS my kids at this point, uh, you know, they're teenagers. And so, you know, we're not talking about Santa and the Easter bunny and, and, and all that stuff anymore. You know, I'm pretty, pretty straight with them on, on everything, you know, when they ask questions or tell them something and and everything. So I see that. Um, can you put, you know, can you put hope in that, that that's, what's going to be, you know, that that's going to turn the tide. I, I don't know. I think that's part of it. Um, I think the other part of it is, you know, is grit. Um, you know, I, I, and the willing and the willingness to, the willingness to forego instant gratification. I think that's going to be, uh, a huge part. Um, you know, do the kids have that these days? I think, you know, yeah, sure. Some do, you know, I can't generally all of them, but I think that, uh, I think they're going to have a very tough road to hoe. I really do. Um, you know, the whole, you know, hard times, you know, create hard men, hard men create good times thing. Um, we're at that point where, weak men create hard times, uh, you know, and it's, you know, and we've talked about this a lot. It's very frustrating to look at, you know, what we grew up with and what we had as a country, you know, and then turn around and what we did. Right. And I'm not going to say with the best years of our life, because I think that, I mean, you know, they were, they were a lot of years, but I, I wouldn't classify them as the best years, but what we did, the sacrifices that, a lot of people made a lot of good people, uh, you know, made for this country and to see that it's, it's gone to shit, right? It's, uh, one of the most heartbreaking things I've seen in a while. And it was just, man, I, I started to send it to you guys and I was like, I, I got distracted something else. There is this old Marine. He's gotta be in his, I mean, he's probably in his early nineties 
he's got his dress blues on and he's talking about Iwo Jima, you know, he's talking about, you know, liberating the, the, the Pacific and in the background are just video images of like, you know, uh, Antifa occupy wall street, right. Kids with all the, you know, with, with, with crazy, like all of these things that we're not allowed to question anymore, you know, and there's, in fact, Sam Britton was in that one too. Um, you know, a flashing picture, you know, of him and everything. And, you know, this dude, he like, he gets emotional and he starts crying and he was like, what in the hell were we fighting for? He was like, we, it was all for, you know, basically it was, it was for nothing. And that, it, it was heartbreaking. It really was. Uh, and I was like, man, so I got to do, uh, I had to put the phone, I had to, I had to put the phone down and walk away. But, uh, you know, it's funny. And you bring up the, you know, the diversity hires. I was going to bring up the Amazon plane, you know, that, that, that got nosed down into the ocean. Um, sad story, because man. It's a it's, sad story. It's, and so I think the pilots, I think they're suing, um, you know, because they're like, he wasn't even qualified to be doing that, but he was a diversity hire. And KJP just came out, I think today, and she talked about, and quote, the cabinet is majority people of color, it's majority female, a majority of White House senior staff identify as female, even though nobody can tell us what, you know, even though they, those same people can't tell you what a female is. Um, and then 40% identify as part of the racially diverse communities and a record seven assistants to the presidents are openly alphabet people. And you're like, okay, that's great. But are they competent at their job? Like that's like, they're all diversity hires, Sam Britton diversity hire. And what'd you get? You know, he's out there, you know, stealing luggage. It was so bad. Not even was he stealing other luck, grabbing his and then stealing other the flight that he got caught on, he didn't even check a bag. And when initially stopped, he was like, Oh, I thought it was my bag. And they went back and they looked at his ticket. They're like, you didn't even check a bag, bro. Like it just, let me, let me ask you this. Um, and maybe this is my white privilege talking. So maybe you could check me on that, but let's say Josh that, uh, uh, you know, there, there's a job that you apply for. Uh, it's a really good job even better than one you have now, which I can't imagine it being better than that. That's a plug for some of the listeners out there, but, uh, cause Josh has got the best bosses and the best job you could possibly even hope for. That's what he tells us every day anyway. But let's say that this, you know, there's another job out there pays you three times the salary you're getting paid now. And, uh, you get hired for that job, but you know, well, I, during the application process, you have to check the you know, all the boxes, you know, are you, you know, what, what race, what ethnicity, and you check white, you, you're honest and all that stuff. And you get this job and you're like, this is, this is great. I can't believe, you know, it's going to change my life. You know, I'm making three times the amount I was making before I can retire a lot sooner than I thought. And you show up to the job and you realize, uh, number one, you're the only white person there. Uh, number two, you're the only straight person there. Uh, and you realize I was picked because I'm white and straight and you're working around all these other people that aren't like you and you're not qualified to do the job. You're surprised you got it. It's like, uh, doing, uh, it stuff, which you're good at, but you're not good enough. And you're like, well, I'm kind of lost doing this job. Um, why am I doing this? But they're paying me to stay here. Uh, how would you feel? How would that make you feel? 
that you got hired not based on your qualifications, but based on something that had nothing to do with how would you feel? Like I, you know, lay down on the couch, Josh, and tell me how you would feel if you were working in an environment like that. Would you? Yeah. I would feel terrible. I mean, it would, it would be cringy. Yeah. Yeah. It would be, uh, yeah. Every day you show up and it's kind of, it's like that, you know, you, it's like that when you're a kid, you're, you, you did something wrong, but you haven't been caught yet. Right. Or you haven't been called on it. And you're just walking around on like pins and needles waiting for the other shoe to drop. Right. You're waiting for, waiting for your dad or or mom to be like, Oh, and Hey, by the way, there's something we need to talk about. And you're like, Oh, here we go. Yeah. But it would, it it would be very cringy knowing that, knowing that everybody's looking at you and being like, I know what, I I know why you're here. Um, yeah, it would be, it it would not be optimal. It would not be fun. Um, I I just, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, you know, there's but, there's something to be said for fake it till you make it, right? Yeah. We've all been in a position where you've had to fake it till you make it. And it's like, man, I'm not. Hey, the NCO core, you're going to have to put up with my dog because the wife is home and the dog's going nuts. But, uh, you know, we have all been NCOs. Uh, and when you take that next leadership position, you ain't ready for it. You never are. And, and it's not just nope. like that with NCOs. It's like that with officers, too. Um Maybe not like with warrant officers. Josh can tell us more about that. <laughs> but you're never really ready. So you go in and you fake it till you make it, right? But, you know, you're leading people. You know, you're managing. You know, a combat situation is a little bit different. You, know, you got to take it a lot more seriously because you can get people killed. But it ain't flying a freaking plane, bro. It ain't disposing of nuclear waste. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Imagine if that would have been a passenger plane. Right. Imagine if that would have been a passenger plane with, you know, 200 souls on board and your pilot is a diversity hire. That shit makes me want to drive for the rest of my life. Um, but and like I, I legit like, mm, man, because and we've said it before. It's like, I mean, I don't I don't care what I don't care if you're a man or a woman. I don't care what color you are. I don't care what your ethnic background is. If you're the pilot of my plane and we've used this. Actually, I want you to be the best damn pilot there ever has been because I don't want to die. Not like that, you know? And so you see this and, and, and again, it goes back to, we are already as, as a nation, we're already divorcing like that, that, like that process has started. Not just from people balkanizing, you know, by moving and settling in new areas and, you know, stuff like that. But when you look at the mentality of the left, because for we we would think that that job position that we took that we're qualified for would be cringy. Right. We would just be like, man, I, I you know, like I was only hired because of X, uh, you know, and not because of my skill level. But that's because we have a level of self-assessment. We have a level of self-respect. Right. We have a level. We, we, we understand shame. The left does not have that. A lot of these people that are walking around in these diversity hire billets, they look at it as, well, I've arrived because you owed me this. You owed me this. They don't care that they didn't earn it because they weren't raised like that. It was it's more of a you owe me this. Right. This is reparations. This is, you know, for, you know. 
Adam and Steve not being able to get married for, you know, however many years. And so, you know, we look at it as, hey, we, you know, we earned this. What's up? Oh, nothing. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, you like you're about to say something. No, you I like you're about I to just, say something. I read something. I left. Continue your thought. I'm sorry. Oh, no, no. I was, I was just kind of finished with a thought anyway, but it's like, you know, we look at it. We look at that stuff when, it, you know, when I got promoted, right? So you know, pick a rank. When, when I got promoted, it wasn't, oh, well, I deserve to be this. It was, okay, well, I earned it, right? Because of, because someone thought I had the potential to, you know, to be at this level, right? Because the military promotes based on performance and potential, right? So somebody thought I did a good enough job and said, hey, they have the potential to be here. That's not what the left looks at that. The left looks at it and it's like, oh, no, you owed me this. Speaking of owing things to people, <laughs> are you familiar with the name Angela Davis? Uh, I've heard it before, but I can't. No, I, I guarantee you've heard it before because I guarantee you've seen this news come across. So Angela Davis, back in the day, back in the 1970s, she was a, pl- a philosophy professor at UCLA. <laughs> yes, yes. She was, she was involved with the Soledad brothers who murdered a prison guard. And the Soledad brothers, I, I look it up. It's it's an interesting story. And she was actually, uh, uh, I think she was indicted for for murder because she was involved in she was supplying guns to the Black Panthers and stuff like this. So prominent uh, African American liberation type voice, you know. And she was on that that show, and I can't even remember what the name of the show is, but it's the one that Ben Affleck went on where they go over your ancestry, and Ben Affleck was on there. And they broke the news to him and they do it live, almost like Maury Povich or or whoever it is, where they're like, you are not the father. But they do it with ancestry. And they're like, well, you know, your grandparents were this. And it's kind of interesting, right? Because we're all interested in where our you know, families came from. And if you've got a team of people with, you know, uh, you know, six figures, uh, six figures worth of money to research your ancestry, you could get pretty close, you know, because it takes a lot of time, as we both know, to research your ancestry. And so Ben Affleck was on this show. And they they told him, you know, during the show that he had ancestors that owned slaves. And Ben Affleck was just all torn up about that, you know, for whatever, you know, hey, you know, I don't I don't want to find out that my ancestors owned slaves. I happen to know they didn't. But oh, boy. But uh, I, I don't want to find that out. That's not a good feeling. I, yeah, even though I'm not responsible for what my ancestors did, that's completely ridiculous, uh, even though the left uh, wants to focus on that. But anyway, let's get back to Angela. Angela Davis. So she went on the same show and what they found in her ancestry, this is a black Panther. Okay. A quote unquote, former black Panther who was directly responsible for uh, murder. Uh, She is actually directly related to one of the 101 members that arrived in the U S on the MFing Mayflower. I love it. Isn't it great? And I and I, I got to listen to her reaction. And at first she was like, no, that's not, you know, the way she was trying to play it off is no, that's not possible. You guys are faulty. You know, she was trying to play it off like that, but then she realizes, no, I can't do this because it's right. And she just kind of backed off. She's like, this is, this is a lot. This is a lot for me right now. And I'm like, yeah, I bet it is. I'm like, I bet this is a lot for you right now. You know, history is a muddled, crazy, dirty thing. 
It's a dirty thing, and it came back to bite you in the ass. So let me ask you this, Angela Davis. Who are you paying reparations to? That's right. That's right, man. 1619 Project? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that a little bit. Your ancestors arrived on the Mayflower. Your life was about nothing. That's what that meant. When, when she heard that, her entire life flashed before her eyes. I guarantee you that. Because so much of her identity was wrapped up in her skin color. And yes, yep. I, look, I get it, man. I, I, I understand. I try to empathize. Like, it, it is not a good feeling. It is not a good feeling to think. I had ancestors who were actual slaves. That, 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 that is not an easy thing. You've got to deal with that. You've got to deal with that. And it's not easy. But we've all got stuff in our past. Yeah, you know what I'm saying, though, Josh? It's something you've got to get over. It's something you got to get over. It's not easy to think about. I'm sure, it, you know, I don't have that experience. You know, I don't know if any of my ancestors were indentured servants, which is the same thing as slavery, really. But I, I have a lot of Irish and Scottish in me, so I'll tell you this. There's a pretty damn good chance some of my ancestors were indentured servants. So it's like... You know, debt slaves, in other words. Yeah. And yeah, it... but again, it's like, are you gonna wrap your whole identity up, your current identity and who you what you fight for, what you believe on what happened two hundred years ago that truly, in my opinion, does not affect you now? It doesn't. Look at Chuck, our friend Chuck. Chuck is a freaking superstar. Chuck is black and he's a freaking superstar. That ain't because he, you know, maybe he's, I don't know. I don't know what's in Chuck's mind. Maybe he's driven by a sense of revenge, but I don't think so. Charles is a smart, strong black man who has made his way in a country who allowed him, that allowed him to do that. I don't know, man. I'm going off the brains. But I mean, Angela Davis, man. What the hell? Yeah, I, I, I saw she's, that. She's and... more American than us, Josh. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. I, dude, I saw that and I was, dude, I, I, I died laughing um, because again, it, and it goes back to the left and this is why, you know, and this is why this country is where it is. And this is why people, this is why people are talking about national divorce to begin with, because they've allowed their, not only their skin color, but during COVID, they allowed it, it they allowed masks to become their identity. It's part of their identity. It is now in their, you know, I mean, masks are now in their DNA. It's in their DNA. Um, you know, just, just as much as their, their skin color is. And, you know, when you start talking about, Oh man, especially Irish, you know, I, so my dad and on his side, then, you know, some uncles on the other side did a lot of digging into, you know, ancestry, um, dot com, and, and they did the you know the genealogy, uh, you know for for a lot of folks. And hey, man, guess what? There's somebody in my past. They had they they owned some people, and you know what? Is it a is it a horrible thing? Yes, I think slavery is a terrible thing. I think slavery is worse than death. Right? I would rather die. I, you know, here's another quote for you, Carlos Zapata. I'd rather, rather, I'd rather. What is it with you, Rain? I'd, ra <laughs> I'd rather, I'd rather die on my feet than live on my knees. Um, and so it's, you know, but again, but guess what? It wasn't me. I, 
I didn't have it, and you know, I think I'd have to go back and I'd have to go back and go, go back and double check. But guess what? You know what? Some of my Irish people, they came over, and they just happened. To, they happened to land. They happened to embark in Ellis Island at the wrong time. And guess what? They got handed a weapon and a uniform. It was like, thanks for coming. Now you're going to Antietam. Right? They didn't have a choice. They, you know, so the whole like, well, my ancestors were slaves. Okay. Yeah. That was terrible. Were you? No. Well, then shut the fuck up about it. Because it, it, it doesn't affect you where there are things after slavery that impacted people. Yes. Jim Crow laws. And those didn't come off the books till the sixties, but guess what? How long ago was the civil rights act on? Yeah. Like it's been, a, it's, it's been a generation and, and Chuck's a great example because not only did Chuck not let his skin color limit him, he didn't let his upbringing the environment that he grew up in. He grew up on the South side of Chicago, one of the worst places in the United States. He could have easily, easily become a statistic, right? All the while saying, well, you know, this is, this is my life. This is my environment. I'm just going to become a product of, he didn't do that. You know why people have a choice. One of the reasons he didn't do that is because of his mom. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know about his dad. I I don't know. He never talked about his dad, but, uh, he, he spoke very highly of his mom, uh, and his mom was the one that kept him straight, kept him, you know, on the path, uh, kept him on the way to college. He went to a private university up there. He played, he played football, and you know, it's the exception that proves the rule, right? Uh, I, I, this guy doesn't listen, but I got a guy named James. I named my Jeep after James. I bought it from him. Uh, I'll tell this quick story. James is white. He's not black, but. The exceptions that prove the rule, right? Because we're always talking about the the strong family, you know, the nuclear family. You need a mom, a dad, you know, to raise your kids right and, you know, have the best chance, right? But with Charles, you know, I don't I don't know if it was just his mom. I I, I don't even want to assume, but he just never talked about his dad. I, I so I don't want to assume. But I will talk about James, whose father passed away when he was, you know, two years old. He didn't know his dad, just passed away. And James was a you know, army ranger, ranger regiment. Uh, very, very talented intelligence guy. Uh, he's just just made for it. He's a lot younger than me. He's young enough to be my son. And I, I looked at this kid, and I think you might have met him, Josh, actually. But uh, I look at this kid, and he's just he's just great. His brother was on a it was a Green Beret, Special Forces guy, raised by a single mom who was a librarian. Okay, two strong, successful, hard, violent, strong men. And it's like, man, that's great. And, you know, I was I was in a conversation. James, James, bless his heart, just cannot stand Elizabeth Warren. He's got a an irrational hate of Elizabeth Warren. And I was in a conversation with some liberal female and her husband. Uh, and, you know, we were talking about politics. It was leading up to the 2020 election or no, the 20, geez, 2016 election. It was that long ago. And this 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 lady brought up Elizabeth Warren and I just started laughing, you know. She goes, why are you laughing? I was like, oh, it's it's nothing. Because I was trying not to be political, but she brought up Elizabeth Warren. I was like, I just got a friend, and he's just got this irrational hate of Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> and this woman has the temerity to say out loud, what, does he have a thing against strong, independent women? 
Oh, Jesus. And I said, well, I don't know. Uh, maybe, but the guy uh, is an Army Ranger. He's Ranger Regiment. He's done multiple combat deployments, including one as a, on a Merrill team in Afghanistan. His brother is a decorated Green Beret, Special Forces. They were both raised by a single mother. So, yeah, I don't know if he has anything against strong, independent women. <laughs> Jesus. But yeah. yeah, I kind of I went aside there. But, I mean, those are the two exceptions that prove the rule, right? It's like, yeah. or you know, it, we're always talking about the nuclear family, but you take a strong enough man or, you know, strong enough woman, I should say, or a man, and they can raise a kid, right? You know, so, you know, just because you're pigeonholed into one particular thing, oh, your ancestors are slaves, or your ancestors are indigenous servants, or your ancestors got off the boat and had to go to Antietam and were killed, which is a form of slavery, really. Do this or go back. Uh, you know, you, you don't need to be pigeonholed by that. It's, it's about individual choices, right? Yeah, 100%. And more so now than ever with, you know, I mean, with the internet. You know, before it was, okay, you know, you had to migrate to find jobs. Well, I don't know where a job is. We're going to hop on a train and we're going to go out west to see, you know, what we can find. Now on my phone, I can pull up Indeed, Glassdoor, whatever. Oh, there's a job open here, right? And I can interview for that thing without even leaving my house. Like, so for... For people to say, well, there's no opportunity because of, you know, my skin color, because of where I live, blah, blah, that's an excuse. That's all that is. But that's what we have. A, that's what we have a lot of because that was the, that's been the narrative pushed by the left of, well, you, you can't make anything of yourself and you can't, uh, you know, you can't succeed in life because the system, right? The system, there's systemic racism. There's this, there's that. They, you know, they spend these time, they, they spent the time tearing down the institutions, tearing down the constitution, tearing down the flag, tearing down everything that makes us Americans. And then when you say, okay, well, fine, let's just go ahead and, you know, break up. Then it's, you know, like, oh my God, no, we can't destroy this, you know, this, this, this more perfect union um, type deal. It, it just, it drives me nuts. And, and so, and I know we're, uh, you know, we're, we're a little limited on time, uh, you know, like our, our, our schedules, like Luke mentioned, you know, at the beginning. So I'll, I'll give my last thoughts here and then kick it over to Luke so he can, uh, so he can kind of close this out, um, is for those people out there that are against a national divorce, right. And, and, and I get it. And there's a lot of people with a lot of valid points of why, you know, it, it's not going to happen and why it shouldn't happen. And they're all valid points. They're all true. And again, I don't want it either. Um, I'm just looking at the path that we're headed down. And I know it's not sustainable, but for those who are against it, for those who are just like, no, no, absolutely not. You better be aggressive. You better be the ones out there that are getting after it, that are leveraging every single thing you can to fight these communists. You better not lament the people like Ron DeSantis when he goes toe to toe with Disney, when he uses his authority as governor to go toe to toe with communist organizations like Disney who want to groom children. Don't start getting upset because if you don't want a national divorce, that's what it's going to take. It's going to be ugly. It's not going to be pretty but it's not going to be as ugly as an actual national divorce and the aftermath of that. So with that, I will well, kick no. it over to Luke and he can give well, his closing thoughts. 
I'm going to give you something to think about while I'm talking, and I'm going to have you close it out, okay? So, Josh, I want you to think over the last 10 days or so since we last recorded, because I think you were – were you on the last one or not? Episode yeah. one of the, You are? Okay. Yeah. So since the last time we recorded, I want you to think about the most embarrassing thing that's happened to you since the last recording, like something that, that embarrassed you a little bit. I'll tell you mine right now, and then I'll talk about the national divorce. So my most embarrassing thing was uh, I live in a small community outside of Lubbock, Texas. Uh, it's not a community. It's a city of about 1,100 people. And um, there was some moron up on the north side, you know, those north side people, north side of the lake, who uh, barricaded himself in the house at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and, you know, was, was saying all kinds of crazy stuff because he's going through something that all of us, you know, not all of us, but a lot of people go through all the time. His wife left him. She's going to, she's going to take the kids. Uh, she's going to take half his money. So he just decides he's going to make a scene. So Lubbock sent all, it seemed like all of Lubbock's finest to my small, quiet town, SWAT team, everything. And, uh, Basically, you know, talk the guy down. The guy ended up shooting himself in the leg. He, <laughs> it was a stupid situation. There were far more police officers here than needed to be. And um, so the embarrassing part about that is I happen to be from this community. Everyone I work with knows I'm from here. And I sit right when I sit in Lubbock, I sit right next to the SWAT guys. <laughs> and the SWAT guys all day long. I've listened to him. I put my headphones in, but every time, you know, uh, you know, the time there was a pause in the podcast or, you know, between songs or whatever I'm listening to, I hear them bitching <laughs> about how stupid it was to have to be out here for that nonsense bullshit and how that guy's nonsense bullshit of why he barricaded himself in the house and took up police resources was just a complete waste of time. It's an embarrassment. And I'm just like, God, I'm from there. I got to associate with that guy. That guy's part of my quote-unquote community. I didn't know the guy. I don't know the guy. I don't even know his name. But that was embarrassing. It's like, they all know I'm from here. They're, they're talking shit. You know, it was embarrassing because, you know, yeah. I, you want to represent. So, uh, you know, yep. while you're thinking, uh, I'll say this about uh, national divorce. And I, I think there is a lot more to be said about it because I want what I want to do is kind of deconstruct, you know, what you think that would look like and so on and so forth. And maybe that's something that me, you, and Roger can talk about all three together. Uh, we revisit that and say, you know, how would it look? You know, how, how would it possibly look in, in the most peaceful way possible, right? So maybe instead of a national divorce, <laughs> right? And I, I agree with what you said, you know, take action now, get more involved in your community because the pain, quote unquote, you're going to feel by doing something like that, taking a little extra time out of your day is going to be a, le a lot less painful than an actual national divorce, Right. But I'll say this, you know, they often say that marriage counseling is one of the toughest things you go through, where you sit down, you ask Tom and Jen Satterley, you ask them, marriage counseling is no joke. It's a hard thing. You have to, you have to really do some soul searching. You have to really bear yourself to your mate. You have to really display a lot of weakness, which is hard for people to do. It's hard for people to look inside and be like, you know, here are my weaknesses, you know, what are your weaknesses? How can we compromise? Things like that. It's a very, very difficult thing to do. You know what? And it's harder to do than divorce. So maybe what this country needs is some in-depth marriage mediation and counseling. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? That's all I'm talking about. So Josh, 
you know, I, I try to be hopeful. I do think, uh, I, I think you're right on, on a lot of this stuff. Um, I I just try to maintain hope, not that you don't have any, but, um, I think you're a realist and I think you prepare us all for kind of what's coming and, you know, give us those stark choices. You know, you can either act now, get more involved, or you can pay the consequences. So with that, I'll kick it back to you to close this out, bro. And shout outs to everybody, man. You know who you are. Yeah. So the hope, um, yeah. So I think it was Ted Lasso that, uh, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit on Ted Lasso here. In the end, it's the hope that kills us all. So that's going to do us. That's going to do us for this episode of the cup. Um, yeah, I, I would really like to deconstruct, you know, what that would look like. I would also like to dive into, you know, I'm talking about getting into the Federalist Papers, the NR Federalist Papers, and then, you know, those those letters that Jefferson was writing, to, you know, to everybody but Santa Claus on his, you know, his personal thoughts and everything um, on, you know, we talk about, you know, do people have a right to revolution? Because that's a great question. Um, and it really gets down to the, to the bottom of it. Um, so maybe we can, uh, maybe that we can put that on the, uh, on the list for, for a future episode, because I think it's important. Um, I still want to do an episode where we break down each amendment. Um, you know, I've been trying to get you and Roger on board with that for a while. Uh, y'all have been fighting it. Uh, y'all are communists. Um, <laughs> um, I'm kidding. No, I, I, cause I think it's important that, you know, I, I, I sent a note back to, uh, you know, to my daughter's civics teacher basically. And it was like, you know, cause there were some problems. My daughter was like, yeah, some people in the class are like, the constitution needs to be rewritten and you know, this, that, and the other. And I said, I sent a note back. So like the constitution doesn't need to be rewritten. It needs to be reread. Um, and so, you know, that, that, that education piece on the constitution, I think is incredibly important. And I'm really happy that my, you know, that my kids, you know, is in civics honors. Um, it's not easy. It's a very hard class. And some of the questions are really good. Uh, some of them are BS the way they phrase them. You can tell this indoctrination, but anyway, we'll save that for a, uh, for another episode. So again, for everybody out there listening, um, we, we always say it, but we really do appreciate your time. Uh, th- that is truly the most important thing that, that you could ever give us is your time. And we, we do not take that for granted. So thank you for what, listening. Don't what embarrassed you. Oh, Oh, <laughs> so I have to say, so I was at the grocery store. I had to run to the grocery store in the middle of the day. And generally like the grocery store in the middle of the day is like when all the old people go. Right. Um, Cause most, you know, most, most working class people are at work. Um, I'm at work. <laughs> I just happen to work from home. Uh, so I go to the grocery store and I have my hearing aids in. Well, I have music. Oh. <laughs> I have music on my hearing aids. Right. Uh, and so I go to let one go and I'm like, well, it's, I could, I can let this one go silently. <laughs> well, I have, I have my hearing aids in. And I have music playing on them. Well, it, it was not silent. Um, and uh, needless to say, I don't go to that grocery store anymore. I'll, I'll probably never be able to go that time of day again. Uh, oh, that's so. when all the old people go, huh? That's when they're hearing aids go. and farting in the middle of the aisle. Right. Yeah. Mine was not. Uh, mine was not silent. It yeah, would be. A- it would be what you call overt. 
Um, <laughs> that did not disappoint. Thank you for no. that. <laughs> so, so, all right. There you go, canteeners. Spend, uh, take that one to bed with you tonight and, uh, and think about it. I don't know when, uh, when this one will come out. Uh, it depends on when Roger, uh, stops uh stops day drinking and edits it and uh and gets it out to you guys so that's gonna do it for us episode 112 in the meantime keep those canteen cups full and tightly secured <laughs>